We all know that certainty is never guaranteed. At the same time, we tend to act as though we need certainty before we can move. And this is the reckoning that everyone has to have. When have things ever been certain? You're listening to In the Hour with Lolly Daskal and Jared Nichols. Jared, when we talk about crisis, what does it mean to you? Well, when we talk about crisis, I mean, I know it can be an incredibly personal experience for a lot of people, but in a big picture, especially for leaders, it's when they start to have that sense that uh, control is no longer theirs. And they're faced with this, this big question of, was I ever in control? That seems to be a, a theme that comes up quite a bit. So crisis is something that completely disrupts the norm, uh, forces people to get very present, very conscious about what's going on, where they are. And this is where real leadership, I think, tends to shine. Either they retreat to things that are old or they seize the moment. Absolutely. I think it was Winston Churchill that said, never let a good crisis go to waste. And I think what he meant by that is, is that crisis is an opportunity in a difficult time. Mm. And what I believe is, and what I've seen in you know my coaching and consulting practice, is that when it comes to a crisis, leadership and business tend to often be very guilty of not challenging the norm. They tend to be satisfied with following tradition. They tend to not want to make any waves because they feel they don't know about what's going to happen or what's not going to happen. And they rather be um, standing still than be in motion. And I think that's a big mistake. And I think that's almost wasting a good crisis. Oh, yeah. Right. So what do you think about that? No, I I think that's true. I mean, um, this is an interesting idea because. And it really just shows how we as human beings are walking contradictions. We all know that certainty is never guaranteed. At the same time, we tend to act as though uh, we need certainty before we can move. And so, you know, this is the reckoning you have to that that everyone has to have. And that is, uh, number one, when have things ever been certain? They've they've maybe seemed less uncertain, but nothing has ever been certain so there's a certain level of uh comfortable uh comfortability if you will right there's a certain level of that a lot of leaders have enjoyed if doing what they do is working if they are part of and you know i know this gets thrown around a lot status quo but i mean that really as we've talked about before status quo is great to break up um hard to do if you're in the status quo because hey who wants to leave when things are good (laughs) so so that you know uh, being comfortable with that, not taking action. Um, I, I think this is a problem that every single uh, leader has to deal with. And they need to deal with it before a crisis actually arises. you know, comes up. They have to be thinking about what will I do in this case? Because as we see today, a lot of people are just standing still, as you said. Right. Yeah. So that's interesting. And I'm listening to what you're saying. And I think at the heart of what you're saying is, is that it comes down to mindset. It comes down to that mental mindset that an individual as a leader has to have when they're in crisis, when they're facing difficulty. And the thing is not to think, the thoughts aren't what 
haven't I done before? A leader needs to think, what could I do? What should I do? There's a little twinge or a little tweak in the mindset that needs to be shifted because I think that if you are if you're a person that has to get comfortable in uncertainty, you have to know the right questions to ask to become comfortable in being uncomfortable. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So you have and that starts with a mindset. That starts with an attitude. And I believe that the best leaders really know how to ask the right questions when things are uncertain. So let's Be let's talk about that. What are some of those questions? What when you think about that? I'll get to that in a minute because I, I will talk about those things and I think it's important. But what I want to talk about is more about what we're seeing now and really unpack that a little bit so we can then get into the questions that make sense because it really depends who you're leading, how you're leading, and what kind of questions you ask. But so let's talk about just, just to go a little bit deeper on leadership and business, if that's okay. Of course, yeah. Let it rip. <laughs> so, right. So the thing about leaders, do you agree or disagree that they want to keep things the same if they have worked in the past? Do you, do you think they want to do that? Yeah, I think that's a human tendency as well, of course. Right, absolutely. But this is how I see crisis. And I've said this to all my clients. Crisis is a portal. It's a little opening to start doing things different. It's an, it's an opportunity for improvement. It's an opportunity, but if you've done things in the status quo, now it's time to do something a little bit different. And the thing about that is, if you don't pivot, if you don't go into this porthole, most likely, and tell me if you agree or disagree, and I'll give like three examples, you will either get destroyed or dismantled at a very high level. Let's talk about Kodak. Anybody remember Kodak? Let's talk about Blockbuster. Most people don't even know what Blockbuster was or is, right? You were able to go in and get video. Now we're all about streaming. Here in New York City, the taxi industry thought they were invincible. We got into ugly, disgusting, unclean cabs for a very long time. Some of the drivers, some, not all, were rude. It was just a horrible, horrible experience. Uber comes along and disrupts the whole thing. All of these were little crises that if leaders didn't take opportunities, they didn't take advantage of this little porthole, guess what? We don't know about Kodak and we don't know about Blockbuster and the taxi industry here in New York City is really suffering. Mm. What do you think about that? I think this is a, that's what this crisis is, an opportunity for improvement. Yeah, so I think it depends on how long the crisis is drawn out. This is what I think really divides it. If it's short term, which we get a lot of those, these that are that are can easily be labeled as a crisis for most organizations, but they're short lived, right? So if it's short lived, this is where the habit of sitting back and doing nothing and waiting really comes into play. Most of the uh, return to normal can start to take place because we have it depends on where you are, what sector you're in, what part of the country, your economic status, all of that. If it's a short-lived crisis that only impacts a certain group, then most people can sit back, weather the storm, and find a sense of of, of that or that return to to a normal state of of things. What's unique about the crisis that we've been going through that has caused a, a huge disruption and standstill is that it's number one. 
it's not market driven. So a lot of people's disruptions are market driven or something comes along and, and does that. This is a health crisis. And so it's really thrown a lot of ideas and things into disarray. A lot of questions that people didn't ask, uh, they have not thought, they've not thought about it. Um, and it has, it's going on a lot longer than people expected, which again, I think was just kind of that willful ignorance of like, oh yeah, we'll have a vaccine in you know a month or two months. It's like, no, we're not. This is gonna be a few years, buckle up. So I think that it can really be broken down to how long the crisis is, number one. And the examples of uh, Blockbuster, Kodak are great. I really, one part of the Blockbuster story and I love this story a lot because most people think, oh, Netflix came along and disrupted them. That's not true. It's not true at all. Blockbuster uh, ate itself alive. That was the problem. It was a failure of leadership at the top. And the reason why, and this is important, and I may, I'll probably get some of the timelines wrong here. I've written about this, talked about this, but I know I sometimes get these timelines a little mixed up. But the point is, is that uh, Viacom bought Blockbuster, gosh, what, in 1990, 91? Uh, maybe it was in the early to mid-90s. Uh, Netflix wasn't around yet. Viacom buy, buy, buys up Blockbuster, sees it as a, as a real estate investment. That's what it is. And uh, they start to see their sales are dropping. All that stuff was tied to the box office. You know, there's all these factors, these signals and indicators you could see going on in there. And so their sales were going down. So they need to find a way to increase sales. So what do they do? They hire in a bunch of ex-Walmart execs on their board to come in and to rethink Blockbuster like a Walmart. Again, selling things that are not video. Well, that doesn't work out so well. And this is Netflix is starting to come along. Netflix actually tried to sell to Blockbuster and they laughed them out of the room. Netflix is still just a small player in the room here. Blockbuster had so many things at their disposal. They were utilizing big data on customers before they actually called it big data. They had this stuff. They had the very tool of disruption in the 21st century right at their fingertips and they didn't do anything with it. They didn't use it to try and see how can we improve customer experience. They didn't use it to think how do we reinvent ourselves. They just sat on it. So they were, their sales continued to drop. So they fire the guys from Walmart. They bring in 7-Eleven execs. And 7-Eleven execs come in and say, well, you need to set this up like a 7-Eleven. So this is, for, for those of you that remember Blockbuster, before it was all said and done, you would have three, you know, like of this snake aisle to go and check out that was filled with candies and popcorns and all kinds of other crap. That's from your 7-Eleven execs. So Blockbuster failed to look at the external context and say, how do we reinvent ourselves and do something to take advantage of the way the world is changing, customer preferences are changing, so that we can come out on top. Instead, they're like, no, 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 nothing's gonna change. We've been successful, we own this market, and our 7-Eleven guys are saying this is what we should do because their profits go up. Such stupidity and arrogance is what that really comes down to. So. This, this, when it comes to taking advantage of a good crisis, step one comes to something you always say, and I don't want to steal your thunder here, but something that's huge, a big part, if not the core of your message, and that is that you have to start within. You know, you have to get honest with yourself. It's okay not to have all the answers, right? But you have to first be able to say that. So, you know, there's things going on here that we just don't know. What are we not asking? This goes to this question. What questions are we not exploring here? Because if we just arrogantly plunge forward and think that we can do this no matter what, well, we're, we're going to be in for a shock. Right. So I agree with everything that you said, except for the fact that is how long a crisis lasts. Mm. I believe that every crisis is for us to look at it and ask ourselves, 
do we need to make improvements here or are we okay? You still need to take that crisis and, you know, so it's not about the duration of the crisis. I don't believe it's about that. I think it's about, again, as we're touching that topic, is to look at it as an opportunity or an experience or a porthole. Is what what are we gonna do that this has come up? Yeah. Put it this way, in the past, when a CEO has gotten in trouble, PR always says, be quiet, be quiet, don't make a comment, don't say anything, wait it out, wait it out. I'm always the one that says, stop waiting it out. No, today is the day you have to act. Today is the day you have to go out and lead from within. What does that mean? Be transparent, own your mistakes, say I'm in trouble, say I didn't do it right. And so I think the only thing that I would tweak with what you said is that every crisis, for me, as a coach, as a consultant, is an opportunity to revisit what I'm doing as a leader. Oh, no, so I totally not agree. A, it's not about, for me, duration. Crisis is a crisis, and I'm going to be looking at it as an opportunity. Yeah, and no, I totally agree with that. So let me let me clarify. <clears throat> what I was really speaking about there was why people act the way they do or don't act in a crisis. And so not what they should do. But just historically speaking, it's that short amount of du- that shorter duration. They can sit tight. They believe that, and for the most part, historically speaking, they've been okay. Right. The, the longer crisis is drawn out, the worse it gets. And so that's Absolutely. why, yeah. So, but I'm with you. Every crisis should you, we should constantly be looking at ways that we can reinvent, uh, challenge, and disrupt ourselves instead of waiting for somebody else to do it because somebody will do it. It might as well Absolutely. be you. Absolutely, I, I agree wholeheartedly. This is an interesting fact that I want to bring out because I think it pertains to what we're talking about today. In the Chinese symbol, the word crisis has two symbols. It has danger and it has opportunity. Hmm. And you talk about this a lot. I think the danger they talk about are the risks that you're willing to take, right? You always talk about as a futurist. What risks are you willing to take today to create your future? So. If you think you're not going to make mistakes, if you think there's not going to be threats, if you think that there's no risk, then you might as well hang up your hat and say, you know what, I can't lead my company through this. Because then you don't understand the juxtaposition of what crisis is. For every crisis is an opportunity, but there's risk and we need to know as leaders how to manage it. Yeah, absolutely. Right, so the typical way, most most of my clients, before I actually work with them, It doesn't matter how big they are. It doesn't matter how small they are. Most likely crisis hits, they postpone decisions. They withhold information. They feel that only a few should know this information and they're huddled at the top. And, you know, most of them, I've heard this almost to a nauseam, I'm waiting for all the information. I go, you're waiting for perfection? Well, that's never going to happen. And this is what I believe, Jared. I believe that if you're waiting to make a decision, you've made a decision. That's the decision, not to act. And that's troubling when you want to be the kind of leader that is very successful in leadership. So I think this is where we converge. This is where we really get together in the same way. When we think about leaders, right? We talked a little bit about leaders need to ask questions, right? So I Mm -hmm. wanna set it up and ask you, what do you think a great leader needs to become, right? If they were to lead from within, 
what is important to you, Jared, that a leader needs to have in order to be the best leader in a crisis? So I think there's two things they need to have. I think it's a great question. So hopefully I can do this justice. There's two things that leaders need to have in a, in a, uh, in a crisis. Number one is that they need to have incredible communication skills. That's the top thing that they have to be able to do is they need to be able to communicate clearly, communicate what's needed to be communicated and uh, to have the people around them that can reinforce that. So you have, so they're creating a sense of continuity uh, so that the organization understands what's going on. The other thing is that they have to have integrity. And what I mean by that is they need to be honest, right? They need to be honest with what they don't know, honest about uh, what they are and aren't doing, and they need to uh, be honest about the need for people inside the organization to come and contribute their ideas and their voices. So honesty, integrity, and communication, number the two most important things that leaders need to have in a crisis. I love that. And I wanna grow on that a little bit and think about it this way. I think you gave us the high level of what we need. I just wanna go one level deeper because sure. you know, lead from within has a principle that's very, very important and it's based on science. The lead from within principle is that if you're in crisis and you're a leader, I'm going to ask every leader to pause, to take a breath, to literally give themselves a moment to be able to step back, take stock, anticipate, realize what's important, realize what's urgent, Sometimes you think it's counterintuitive, the stopping, but I think the fact that you stop gives you more gives you more clarity or gives you clarity and focus in a way that if you start reacting, right? It gives mm -hmm. you a moment to respond. Yeah. I want to share with you the story that I share with my leaders all the time. Wayne Gretzky, for those of you who know him, he was a great hockey player, right? They asked him, what makes a great hockey player? And he said, a good hockey player plays where the puck is. A great hockey player plays where the puck is going to be. And I think in the moment of crisis, a leader has to pause and ask themselves, where's the puck? Where's it going? Because that's what we have to respond to. Not this everything in the moment, but where is this crisis taking us? Where's the puck going so we can become a we can I can become a better leader and B we can become a better organization yeah yeah so the science that I talked about based on this pause is very interesting because they say that the simple act of pausing even for 50 to 100 milliseconds right allows your brain to refocus in a way that makes what is relevant become more clear and more focused hmm. And the fact that that can happen when everything around you seems to be disruptive and seems to be um, coming at you all at once, it's very important to pause. You'll be able to communicate better. You'll be able to step up and have more integrity in what you say, all those important things that you said. And I think by pausing, right, it gives the opportunity, and let's, this will circle back to well, how we started, that a leader can ask those important questions. So here's yeah. a question that I think is important. I'd like for you to grow, you know, I'll start if you wanna add something, I'd love to hear what you think. But if a leader is in crisis and the organization is in crisis and there's a crisis going on, a leader should ask what is important right now? 
right? Mm -hmm. What am I missing? How will things unfold? An interesting story, Jared, when in January of this year, I was following the news and I saw things that were happening in China. And I went to my clients and I said to them, we have to start thinking of a crisis plan in case it comes to the United States. 75% of my clients said, we have a crisis management team, don't worry, Lolly. I said, no, 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 this is a different crisis. We need to plan. And so we came up with plan A, plan B, plan C. And then I said to my clients, let's just do D. If we go to D, it'll never happen, but let's just plan for D. And guess what, Jared? We're in D. Mm -hmm. All of us are functioning in D. So I think it's very important that a leader pause in order before he communicates and shows up with integrity. What do you think about that? No, I think that's absolutely true. But it brings something to mind, you know, and you just talked about organizations say, well, we have a crisis management team. All of these different groups need to be uh, reimagined, right? Because, you know, if, if you're constantly doing things, it's like, well, we've got a crisis management team. Oh, well, we've got a strategy department. Oh, we've got a leadership development core. Well, great, you know. Uh, you know, I've got a bicycle, but if the tires are flat or the rims are bent, I can't really ride it. So what's your point? You know, so I, I really think that uh, when you're in it and if you haven't prepared, if you don't have everything ready to roll, again, this is not about certainty. It's not about certainty. It's not saying, well, we have to have everything ready to roll if a very specific crisis happens. No, it's just that you have the right people on board. So let's go back to the other thing that we talked about, communication and uh, being integrity. in integrity, just being, the, you know, those two things right there. So when you think about a, even, in, and there are really good crisis management teams who realize that a crisis management team are experts at communication. You usually don't find those. <laughs> You'll find these in certain places like towns. Like there's a town here close by that has, does an excellent job at crisis communication and management, but they are a municipality. So they look at it very different than a publicly traded company, for example, who is our, we need to maintain and manage crisis for stock prices, whereas they're like for lives and for functionality. So very different examples. So that's, so I'm talking about groups like municipalities, but the ones that are really good, they have a communication strategy in play, not to lie, but to ensure that these are the people that need to be in the loop. This is layer one, layer two. This is what needs to go out. We can fill in the blanks because we are going to respond in real time to the actual crisis, but we have a continuity of message that goes through and we are consistently delivering that message so people are in the loop. And what that does is that builds up trust in the information that's coming to you. This is leadership. Leadership doesn't exist without trust, does not. So it goes back to you being honest about where you are, but it also goes back to you being honest about where you're going. And, and that includes if you don't know yet. This is why in our, you know, it, that the whole COVID-19 and everything else, why it has been falling apart and we're not doing so great is because we have no trust in leadership at every level. Every right. level has failed because they were not honest about the information. They did not trust us to do the right thing. There was concerns in the beginning that we as Americans are just so selfish that we will hoard masks. So they lied and they said, oh, they don't really help. And then when they finally had enough, it's like, actually, they do help. Everybody go out and start making a mess. Like, you know what? <laughs> Thanks. So this is, so crisis management and crisis, and it, it requires honesty and communication, but it requires you to rethink the people on your team that are responsible for doing that job. Then you are going to be in a much better position. So if you haven't done that, obviously, you can't do that this second, but you need to be thinking about doing that. 
So what you're actually talking about is a leader that has character and a leader that has great judgment. And I think that a team, a crisis management team, feeds off from a leader itself. It really mm -hmm. depends what kind of um, leader you are. And I think, not I think, I know and I've seen that people follow who is on top, who's at the top, how they act, what they say, what they communicate, their integrity, their character. And I think people follow that. So I think when there is a crisis, not I think, I know, because I've seen this with my clients, you need a leader that has the right temperament. Mm -hmm. You need a leader who's flexible, who's curious, mm -hmm. so they can ask the right questions, right? And they can keep learning. You need a leader who has an open mind and then can really listen to what other people are saying. There are experts out there feeding us information. They've done this before. They have studied this before. As a leader, you need to listen to them of what they have to say. And I think it's very important then a leader not to say, I'm in charge, but to delegate that authority to those who know what they need to do yeah. in order get through this crisis and that takes great judgment and that takes character that's how you can lead with integrity of what you talked about that's how you can have people communicating honestly but it takes a leader with character and with great judgment yeah you're absolutely right it's funny how it's there's a constant context is the thing that makes the difference all the time so we can there's so many different philosophies about leadership or strategy or whatever it might be but all that stuff goes out the window when the context changes, you know, we, we've talked about, you and I've talked about this many times, about uh, uh, the top-down leadership models or the hierarchy models or this whole command and control and then how that, and then there's the other extreme, the holacracy, oh, there's no titles and everybody's the same, you know, it's okay. these are all, you know, leadership philosophies and that's pretty much what they're good for because they, they're devoid of context and the actual people that are in the organization. I'll tell you what, you know, like, yeah, I do not want to have a holacracy in the military. That's just not going to work. It just doesn't work. You know, you do have to have, don't get me wrong, there's tons of bloated bureaucracy. Talk to friends of mine. You know, I grew up in the Army. Uh, but at the end of the day, somebody needs to be in charge. Somebody needs to give direction. There are key functions that need to be able to operate in that kind of environment. In the same way here, leadership is not about your style. Leadership really is about what you were just saying. Uh, it's about, and I'll put it this way, it's about inspiring confidence in the people who have to execute on your directives. And if you can't inspire confidence, you've lost, and that starts at the top. That's where it trickles down. Confidence trickles down. So the way I think about what you just said and the way I would word that is, a leader needs to be able to empower others so they can be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Sure. That's the power of great leadership. Um, you said a lot of things. Um, I don't always agree with everything that you say. I think that in organizations, but what you say is always brilliant and in yes, context. totally. No. Right? <laughs> but I think it's very important that, yes, in military, we have a leader at the top. But I also think that we need in organizations a more of a level, leveling playing field where people feel that they could make decisions where people feel oh, they could make an impact so i think that we should not be so black and white as we talk about leadership styles but we should be more well-rounded it's a little bit of this and a little bit of that sprinkled together 
to make your organization, depending what it is, really function at its best. Yeah. yeah. Leadership is contextual. It really is. Absolutely. Yeah. I want to bring up this other thing that I think is very important that I, I think it's important to mention because when we talk about leadership, we always talk about big decisions that leaders need to make, right? Mm -hmm. We always talk about, especially in a crisis, like what big risk did you take? What decision did you make? And I want to tell you a little story that is very apropos for what we're going through right now that made the biggest difference from the little smallest decision. So I believe that leaders should not only make the big decisions, but should really contemplate the small things that are going on around them in the crisis. Hmm. So the thing is, when uh, Corona hit, everybody was quarantined at home. And what did we all do? We turned on our TV, 90% of us went to Netflix and decided we're gonna watch all the shows that we couldn't watch, we're gonna binge everything. Well, Netflix saw this coming. Netflix realized that people were going to be streaming all these programs while they're hunkering down in quarantine, and so they made a really small decision, a really, really small one, and that was to lower the resolution on all their programs so that it wouldn't crash, so that people can still watch for hours and hours, but yet it wasn't the same quality, but they still had programming. And this small decision made the biggest difference of Netflix crashing, becoming, you know, you know, that you were able to stream while you were home. And I think that this is very important for us to realize that the small things become big things, yeah. right? And we have to know what those small things are as leaders to make them matter. Now, didn't now Netflix did that? They started doing that last year, didn't they? Because they're and you had to pay for the higher resolution. Like if you had a four, there was a four K. I think that was right, right? Or was it? All that being said, because no, it does, it's not to rebut what you're saying. It. it what the the big the the thing that they noticed was that more and more people are streaming on multiple devices and that the number of televisions devices are out there have got a way higher resolution and so i don't know if they did that it making that small tweak is they did that now yeah they did that now yeah. it was in a conversation and they and it was i mean it was noticeable a little bit but at the end of the day you still had your netflix yeah, of you still had your programming but that small decision made a big big impact wow. so i think that that's very important i think leaders need to capitalize on opportunities right we need to we need to take these opportunities like like i said earlier it's a porthole right it's like a little opening what can we do to make a difference maybe if the, the you know if it's in high demand they'll do it again but it's something as a best practice they know they can stay afloat absolutely well this is yeah that's that's the heart of foresight really is saying hey here's what we see going on right now this is what's going on around us right now it is important to listen to experts about what they say that means but it's more important to say okay well that's what they say that means but what are they not thinking of what else is possible in the situation because experts also have internal bias for themselves too if you're an expert and it's like just think of economists we have them in our family we know these folks you know always positive oh yeah it's gonna be this it's gonna be great you know and they're almost always wrong right it's great in certain areas but most of it's like it's just speculative so if we are making a hundred percent of our our decisions on uh, experts that 
are not getting it right 100% of the time, we are, we are outsourcing our critical thinking. So foresight is really about identifying what's going on right here and then asking ourselves, how might this thing that's emerging, whether it's artificial intelligence, genetic modification, uh, climate change, whatever it might be, what you see around you, how might this impact multiple facets of society? Because again, it comes back to context. Because when you start asking questions of like, for example, how might artificial intelligence impact uh, the way that we see roles in the family? Most people aren't asking that kind of question because they're thinking, how might artificial intelligence impact the workforce? Well, that's an obvious one. But when you start to say, how could artificial intelligence completely change my fundamental idea of what it means to be married? Like that's just like, okay, now you have to really stretch your brain. The reason why it's important to ask that is because that's where disruptions and opportunities and crises come into play. Is all of a sudden, just like with Facebook, I use this example all the time because it's easy and everybody knows it. Facebook started in 2002, was launched in 2003. Out there, it was, it was started with the intent of being a competitor of hot or not. See who's dating who and who likes what. And it was put out in 2003 for Ivy League college kids. Uh, 2004, it starts rolling out to other colleges and every person in the world. Now, less than six years later, this platform that was designed to see if Billy is dating Susie and who likes this and who likes that, it is the number one tool, less than six years later, the number one tool used to overthrow a 30 plus year dictatorship in the Middle East. So you tell me, right? I mean, the point is that we have to do two things when we're trying to connect those dots to seize opportunities to look at what's going on around us is number one we have to see these these portals these trends or these things that are happening that are not fully formed yet and we have to look beyond the original intent for why they are here so AI Facebook whatever you want to look at and you have to look beyond the original audience for who it was intended and when you start to do that you start to see things that other people aren't seeing and you see opportunities and then it goes beyond anticipating change that's where you really start to get into the ability to drive and shape the future because you already see where it could go right absolutely and the way a leader can do that is is by forming a group now you talked about a crisis management team and i think those are typical crisis management team but i think that we need to have a different kind of team we need to have a team where it's working in parallel to the typical crisis team. I think that it talks about exactly what you just talked about. It's an intersection of individuals that are experts, that are knowledge-based, that are asking the right questions beyond what's happening today. Like you said, what is AI? What is Facebook? But they're asking in the time of their subject matter in a way that a normal crisis management team doesn't ask because yeah. a crisis management team is almost, I think, basically, I mean, I work with many organizations and I find that their crisis management team, I mean, I respect them, but I find them to be a crutch and it doesn't work. Yeah. It really doesn't work um, because a typical crisis management team that I've seen does the following. They, they want to keep everything quiet. They want to keep everything controlled. And wait, that's not like we started this whole conversation mm -hmm. with, you cannot control the uncontrollable, right? Yeah. So I think that when you create a special team, and I call them the dream team in some of the organizations that we have now, these dream teams are responsible, and I call them the dream team that is planning for the future. So that's where we have synergy. You're talking and, about a think tank, a skunk works operation. <laughs> yes, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Like, 
I think every organization needs to have that. I mean, that's uh, the top organizations have that. I'm sure a lot of your clients have that. Maybe, you know, uh, but that's what it is. A place where people get together and start to ask questions that other people aren't. Absolutely. And I freedom think to be as weird as they want. Important. So if we don't call it a crisis management team, what did you call it? Well, it's uh, a think tank or a skunk works, if you will. So. Okay, yeah. whatever Jared said, that's what that's what you can call it. Definitely. Let's go ahead and start some of these. This is this to me, Lolly, and I love it because prior to COVID nineteen, I would talk to a lot of my clients. Say this is something that I think you need to set up. You know, let's build out uh, an internal, like if you will, because you know they love to use uh, military terminology, black project that just stays <laughs> behind closed doors where we're exploring things, asking things, uh, developing new ways to disrupt yourself. Um, so that when it does happen, you guys are already there. And a lot of them say, oh, that sounds really cool, but it's not the immediate need of the now. And post COVID-19, more people are realizing, hmm, maybe we should do that. Big mistake. Big mistake. Right. I think it's very important. Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, you're talking about big things. Let's talk about the little disruption that's happening right now that most of my dream teams, that's what I call them in our organization, um, what are they what are they working on so before we would have that people would come into the office and they would have meetings in the conference room in a and b and i would be sitting in this boardroom and listening to this conversation in this meeting well guess what now there's a disruption where everything went virtual mm -hmm. right our, most of our business went virtual and so the dream team has to be asking the questions is this going to be happening past the crisis if it does, what are the opportunities? Let's go to the Chinese symbol. What are the opportunities and what are the dangers of doing it that way? They need to fine tune what it means for the organization of what it means to go virtual. Now, if it works, great. And if it doesn't, how can we make it work? Mm. Those kind of things that this dream team has to work in parallel to the crisis management team of, of really recognizing the day-to-day -day of what's happening and making it important with coming up with great solutions. Um, there was one person, I'm going to get his name wrong, so I'm going to apologize before I even say his name, but I, I think his name, is, it's pronounced Ram Emanuel. He was a former U.S. congressman. He worked under oh, yeah, the mayor of Chicago. Exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. And he said this great quote. He said, it, every crisis is an opportun opportunity to do things you think you could not do before. And if we go with that mindset, right, and he said it so eloquently, if we go with that mindset, what are we going to do different tomorrow? What are we going to do that we haven't done before? And I think that's where this dream team, what did you call it, Jared? Skunk Works, Think Tank. Okay, those guys, with, yeah. that's where they need to excel and ask all the most important questions that are happening right now. Well, and it requires that you get the kind of people that do think differently because a lot of people say, that's a great idea. What they do is they create this. It's just like innovation. Oh, we're an innovative company. Bullshit. Most of you aren't. You know, we're going to have ourselves a think tank. But what you do is you start getting people that are trained to think inside the box and never challenge things outside of that and you put them in there so well we've assembled a team no no you need to find your weirdos not so weird but they're like hey i want somebody to surgically attach a, a donkey's tail to my back that is a real thing in the foresight community not foresight futurists they are some weirdos we could talk about that but it's the transhumanist right yeah so you're not looking for transhumanists necessarily <laughs> so 
<laughs> I just kidding. I can never help myself. Oh. So you're looking for people that that think differently, that question things, that um, uh, are always connecting dots or tend to connect dots that other people don't see. You want folks and you want to give them the permission to uh, think about the absurd. Here's And here's the reason why. I use this a lot uh, with the folks that I work with or if I'm giving a presentation on this, is that uh, I, want you to, I usually throw up this picture of these guys in the Civil War and they're sitting around writing letters home. They're prisoners of war. I think it's after a, one of the battles and they're Union soldiers writing letters home. And I put that up on the screen and I tell people, I said, listen, I want you to imagine showing up at that table with everything you know right now and I want you to try to explain drone technology to these guys. And, oh, better yet, I want you to try to explain the iPhone to these guys. Oh, wait, yeah, yeah. I want you to explain air travel. Do you see how stupid you would sound? You would sound like a raving lunatic. So then, give yourself permission to think about the absurd and impossible ideas that would make you look like a mad person. It doesn't mean you're immediately jumping to alien visitation and living on other planets. Most people don't even do that. In fact, when most people start to give themselves permission to think about the absurd, most of them are starting to, to connect dots and implications that, of things that they think might happen. And, but they come to realize these things are already happening. They just didn't know how to find them. So they're not, I would never say, oh, well, people are going to think too far out. No, they're not. You know, we will still self-regulate. But you have to give that permission to think about things that seem almost completely impossible. Otherwise, you are going to always stay within the bounds of what you know. And that's just a status quo way of thinking. So I'm going to apologize to all the dream teams that I've created in the organizations that I consult in. And I don't think you're weirdos. I think that you're very smart individuals that really know how to look at the day-to-day -day functions and know how to take a risk, know how to look beyond what you're seeing now and then thinking about the future of what you're going to need. I don't have it at the tip of my mouth, but there's a wonderful, wonderful Steve Jobs um, quote. Here's to all the... You know that famous quote, and he talks to all those people that are creative, to the ones that think out of the box, the ones that solve all the problems. I wish I had that quote right now, but I don't have it because it would be so appropriate to say right now. Oh, yeah. yeah. But um, the thing about that is, is that I want to bring it home to being practical. And the way I think about this team is, yes, think about the unthinkable but also think about the necessary risks that you have to take. And what do I mean by this? And this, every organization bumps up against this because I've been bumping up against it uh, now for seven months where um, I believe that every corporate attorney, every lawyer is trained to protect the organization against risk. Of course. Right? Yeah. And they want the organization not to make too many decisions or do anything in the time of crisis because they think mistakes will come and risk will happen. And so most of the organization, you'll hear a lawyer say, no, we can't do that. Mm -hmm. No, we can't think that way. No, let's not do this. No, we can't use Zoom. No, we can't have virtual meetings. No, we can't bank virtually. And it goes on and on and on. I think of all the meetings I've sat through um, these past seven months, and lawyers are great at protecting an organization. But 
we are in crisis. And when you are in crisis, it asks for a different way of being. And when you say, don't speak, don't show up, don't make a comment, don't take a risk, that's the biggest mistake. That's the biggest risk. And so I think that that's another part of this dream team where they say, where are we going to take that risk? Where are we going to do something different? And I just want to talk about this one thing that it brings it home and it doesn't make it that it's so out left field. Um, Interestingly enough, one of my dream teams, I got on my soapbox and I gave them this little spiel and speech and I said to them, you know, we're in a crisis right now. And every commercial on TV and every commercial out there says, our business will come out of this better than ever. (laughs) And I said, don't do that. That is the wrong message right now. Because the thing is, it's not about you. It's about everybody but you. And the team said to me, what do you mean, Lolly? And I said, you know, when we're children, and what do we do? We, we have our own self-interest, right? We think about ourselves. And it's human nature to do that. And the thing is, later on as we become adults, we start thinking about others. We start, oh, there are other people around us. Maybe I'll care about them. But the thing is, when stress happens, and this I talk about in the leadership gap to a nauseam, and this is what ends up getting between you and your greatness. When stress happens, we go to the default of me, 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 me. What can you do for me? What about me? What about me? And the thing is, if you're only thinking about yourself in crisis, it's not very helpful. Think about all those emails. Think about all those commercials that went out. Were you really connected to what other companies were saying when they said our business will be better than ever? Who cares? You want to know what someone will do for you, how someone will care for you, how someone will show up for you. And so I think that's another aspect of this dream team of thinking, how do we connect to individuals that they know we care about them, we understand them, we hear them, that they might be burnt out from working from home, they might be stressed out because they don't know what when is this going to end. So I think that's part of a very, very important aspect of what we're calling this dream team, this crisis management team that has to be very much established in this way. Yeah, yeah. You have to have people that are looking uh, beyond the protection. Well, goes to another conversation we had. There's two types of people when it comes to the future, it comes to crisis, it comes to disruption. You've got those who want to protect and maintain, and then you have those that want to grow and transform. Your dream team needs to grow and transform. Let the, le- let the lawyers protect and maintain. That's what they're paid to do. But your dream team, your skunk works group, your think tank, you know, they need to be those that are focusing on growth and transformation. So I, so I think that's a great way to, to, to wrap things up. And I, I want to add a little bit to that. I think that if, if, if there's anything that I would hope listeners would take away from this, it's three key areas. Number one is to reimagine your teams, like we talked about earlier. When we talked to Internet, got us going on this crisis management, is that there's a certain framework that we thought about crisis management. We'll reimagine it like these dream teams, right? Reimagine what does that mean? What does a crisis management team actually mean? What does it need? The other thing is to redefine risk and opportunity because we have these set ideas in our mind about, oh, well, this is what risk is. We can't do that. Well, now's the time to redefine that. What is real risk? 
Well, the greatest risk, and it sounds like just a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason, the greatest risk is doing nothing at all. Opportunity needs to be redefined as well. What, how do you define success in a crisis? How do you define success going forward? Redefine opportunity. And then the last thing is to expand your time frame, right? That's something I uh, say a lot that I, I want to always come back to is that if you're willing to sacrifice your next quarter century for your next quarter, well, I have no interest in speaking with you, right? So leaders need to uh, understand that the next quarter century long-term, whether it's 25 years or five years or 10 years, doesn't matter, is more important than these short-term intervals that we've been caught up in. And it is the number one reason why we've missed so much because we're just looking for the next 90 days. So expand your timeframes, reimagine your teams, redefine risk and opportunities, and expand your timeframes that risk and opportunity are going to be talked about in and action is going to be taken in. As a coach, I would sum it up this way. A leader needs to come with an open mind, an open heart, and an open will in order not to waste a crisis. And to add to that, Jared, I just want every leader to understand that when crisis hits, it's an opportunity to rethink and to reevaluate. But it starts with a mindset, having the open mindset to know that what they've done before doesn't mean it's going to be the same in the future. And as you like to talk about as a futurist, right? plan today for the future and that's what we need from all the leaders today yeah nicely said (laughs) well perfect well lolly always enjoy these conversations this is good 